Good morning. Welcome to Leather and Limits episode. I think it's 27. No, it is 26. Got you. I had to make sure. It's been a minute. Actually, it's been more than a minute, but then we've had busyness because life. I'm sorry I travel. I wasn't just talking about you. <laughs> and don't ever be sorry for it. Real life first <laughs> and all that, as the saying goes. And not that I don't live it anyway, but you know. Mm-hmm. With me, as always, is the Miss Imperatrix Knox. Greetings. Because somebody's got to bring class to it. Well, <laughs> okay, it sounds way nicer than the other way. That's true. Joining us today are three very special folks who are friends of ours. Wicked, hello, sir. Good morning. Miss Rue, who's been here before. Hi, everyone. And my personal friend, Woody. Morning. and it's his first time on the show so we'll see how that goes Uh, I foresee a lot of edits (laughs) the worst part is I don't think they'll even be from him moving along I mean that almost sounded like a challenge no not yet no (laughs) (laughs) I love the immediate response from at least three people (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like y'all know us anyway Knox knows better almost almost like we do I mean she's had a year of watching you and I interact at this point if she doesn't know by now God help her no shit moving along today we are actually talking about cancel culture and community fatigue which is something that's been coming up a lot in actually everywhere I've been talking now that I think about it, if I want to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. People from various states, various communities, not just the ones we're all familiar with, have all been speaking about this particular problem. Um, The feeling of not wanting to even be involved in their local community and they're just being burned out. Mm -hmm. That is getting sadly more common, I think. It yes. is. Um, I won't say that cancel culture is the only symptom of the problem, but it definitely is a part of it, which is why it's part of today's topic. Because I definitely do think it contributes a, a good, healthy portion to why, now that we're in the digital age. Because I don't... Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I, I, don't, I think it happens faster now it, than exactly. it used to. Because of that immediate access to information and that immediate Mm -hmm. access just to the broader community. So, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it used to happen. It would just take longer. And so things would have to be pretty bad in order for things to keep spreading. Whereas now it takes one FetLife post and. Exactly. Well, and I hate saying it that way, but like in the earlier days of the internets, when like a venue would basically just have an event calendar on the website. And that's how you knew whether something was happening. And that's all the interaction you had. Now that so many kink communities or parts of the community are attached to social platforms for their comings and doings, I think is a large part of the problem because now we're so tied into online sociality alongside our live events. 
and all the fun that comes with the anonymous internet. Mm -hmm. I use the term fun very loosely in this context, however. (laughs) No, but that's what it is. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, I feel comfortable that we don't have to define what cancel culture is to this group. I think all of us are aware of what it actually is defined as. I don't think there's any gray area there, but I think there's, (laughs) I think there's definitely a big difference between canceling someone who is outright dangerous, canceling someone who's a danger to the community because of things that they've demonstrated to the larger group that we find unacceptable versus canceling someone because of one problematic statement that they didn't know how to walk back correctly or, you know, canceling someone who has demonstrated a willingness to learn and an attempt to learn. And it's, it seems now it's been a knee jerk reaction for a lot of, a lot of ways of calling out bad behavior that are truly just bad behavior. And we then immediately excommunicate that person as if they no longer have value or they no longer are able to be instructed. And I find that to be a very shallow point of view. Because there's a a lot of stuff that was teachable that people have let go. And and not only that, but it's also taking on, it's also taken on its own personality where Mm -hmm. anybody can accuse somebody of wrong saying or wrongdoing. And before there can even be a discussion about it or a full understanding of this whole pancake situation, people are getting canceled or people are getting ostracized or feeling like they need to remove themselves from communities when if everybody had taken a breath and if all sides had been talked about there might have it might have just been a big misunderstanding not necessarily just wrongdoing i agree with that and nowadays all it takes is a single sentence and a single your own status update or a forum somewhere or in a group chat message. And it only takes one Mm -hmm. the wrong person to have an agenda. It's all it takes now. It's so ridiculous. And I mean, it's not something that's new to everybody. I mean, we've been doing it our whole lives. How many times, Mm -hmm. I mean, think in a, think in a vanilla setting where you hear the name of a bar and you're like, Oh, I heard about that bar. I mean, have you ever been to the bar? No. Uh, have you driven by it? No, but I've heard about it. I wouldn't go there. Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, we've kind of taken that, but I think it's been amplified with the accessibility of the internet and the, um, how people can essentially hide behind their keyboards and names and not have to actually, you know, have substance to, to call that out. And what, one thing I want to, I guess, point out and using myself and as an example, you know, I, I grew up in Idaho and, you know, it's, it's a very, very conservative, very sort of sheltered and bubbled place. And so for me growing up, I didn't get exposure to a whole lot of different communities and cultures and lifestyles and you know all of the things even even reaching far beyond you know the kink leather sort of stuff and so i didn't have any education and 
what words were, you know, appropriate and inclusive and all of those things until I joined this this lifestyle and this community. And at that point, you know, I, I found somebody who was willing and happy to have that conversation with me and let me ask those, you know, really ignorant questions that I didn't know were ignorant and trying to find the right verbiage. Um, Cause I've, I've never, never carried any sort of, you know, negative opinion of, of any group, but I just had no, no understanding of, of terminology for so, so many different, different subcultures and and lifestyles and all of that sort of stuff and so i think kind of what knox was talking about the value of allowing people to grow they don't have to automatically be there automatically be it you know 100 percent inclusive know all the words um it's okay to to learn and to grow and to ask questions and and not know everything. And as long mm-hmm. as you're making that effort, um, I think that's that's really what's most important. I think specifically when you, I mean, not even looking at the broader kink culture, but when you look at leather culture, which, you know, all of us here obviously identify that way. I think that holds even more true because people yes. come into leather not knowing shit. Come into leather seeking knowledge. That's the whole point. You seek other leather folk out. You're not born knowing your leather. You don't know what it is. And so when you have someone who, and I, and I would say genuinely, right, which is something you have to gauge for yourself. But when you've got somebody who is genuinely trying and is, and is ignorant and kind of what Wicked is saying, and you say, hey, listen, you fucked up, but we see that you're trying or you fucked up and we see that you didn't do it maliciously. You did it because you lack the proper language. That's when I feel the community as a whole has a responsibility to give them that chance, not at redemption, but give them that chance to expand their knowledge. And if they don't take it, that's a different situation. You know, that I agree at that point, they may not be just right for the community, but when you have someone who's trying and they start asking those tough questions, they start trying to seek people out. What I have seen specifically is that once somebody gets any kind of a label, doors start closing. And so yes. they're, they are frantically seeking knowledge. They are frantically reaching out to people who seem to be reputable. And people will come back and say, it's not my job to educate you, which is true. But... I also feel like if you're going to be outspoken about some of these things, at least be willing to share resources if you're not willing to have the conversation. It's okay to say, I don't have the bandwidth for that. Let me point you towards someone who does. I can't do that heavy lifting for you because that type of education is triggering for me or that type of speech is just, I can't, I don't feel right getting into that with you because, you know, potentially I'm a person of color. You're, you're someone who's Caucasian. I can't teach you about race and why your methodologies and your thinking is incorrect. You know, I don't, I can't do that for you. That's something you have to internalize on yourself, but go that direction, you know? And I often find that what truly is actually happening is people just keep shutting doors. It's no, I'm not here to educate you. Don't ask me that. No, I'm not giving you resources. You know how to Google. And it's like, 
last thing you want people to do is start Googling some of this shit. Oh, God, please um, don't. <laughs> well, I mean, be, because realistically, you know, when you start, let's use, you know, gender identity. Somebody who's trying to seek to understand gender identity because they don't understand that their language is transphobic, they go online. 90% of what you're going to find instantly is transphobic. So yeah. they're not learning the correct language. They're not learning what you know, people prefer to be called. They're not understanding you know, the different pronouns and what they actually mean. What they've just learned is I'm a bad person and I need to stop asking questions. Exactly. And I don't feel that that's necessarily the right way to go about no. that because I, I don't feel we have to educate each person. I, I truly do not feel that that's our job. No, but but... I say that on a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality is, you know, I can, I can do more than just say, Google it for yourself. Right. I just don't feel that that is a sufficient answer when you've got someone who's genuinely trying to reach out and genuinely trying to connect. Well, I just feel like that's the, such a shortcoming. It's something you and I have talked about on this show before. And I, ironically or not, I've been having this conversation in a few different corners in the last couple of weeks before this, uh, including with a local person here who actually is one of the people who runs the one-on-one here. Um, and it was a conversation that came up about how you reject people was the original discussion topic, but it runs very similarly in that my answers tend to be very similar regardless. As someone who is actively an educator now, as I've basically become, whether I like it or not, that's what I'm seen as to some people. So I have to take that and take the responsibility that goes with it. Whether I like it or not, I am some form of community leader as a result. And I have to take that with the grain of salt it's due. And so I don't approach rejection the same way I used to in that whether it's me being told no or I am telling someone no, like we've our favorite phrase is I may not be the dom for you. But if it's in my local community or in a situation that is teachable, I will at the very least more often than not turn around and say, but I think I can point you in the right direction to someone who can help you. And that's all it takes. I'm still not leading them by the hand. I'm not, you know... But I'm also not turning around and being harsh and saying, go Google that shit and leave me alone. And I think that balance is the key element to that. Because no, I do expect you to do a certain amount of your own adult homework as a grown-up and not expect everything on a silver plate. I say again, as we're on an educational podcast. But I do think that there's, like we've said a thousand times, the toolbox isn't out there on Google unless you want them to have the wrong tools. So I, at the well, very I, least, try to send them in the right direction to the best of my ability, if there's a way to do so. I think a lot of, of what we're talking about is, you know, unless there's, you know, some sort of special circumstance where somebody's not trying to make that genuine effort, I think that, you know, not having that education and not knowing the right terminology, but you're trying, I think that's the opportunity that community should take to embrace this person rather than to push them away and say, you're not, you're not ready for us. You're not ready to be here. You're not, um, you know, 
so on and so forth. It's an opportunity to embrace and bring this person in and say, you know, rather than getting on Google, because Google Google is not an answer machine. We we like to think of it as an answer machine. All it is is you you cast out your thought or your idea, you put that out into the ether, and it's gonna echo back. So if you're putting in bad information, you're gonna get bad information back. It's not an answer machine, it's more of an echo chamber um of any idea. And so these things that we're talking about, they're opportunities for communities to embrace and bring people in and bring people together and say, hey, I know you're from Idaho. I know you're you're, you know, grew up sheltered and all of the things, but here's here's what this is, here's what this means, here's, you know, and creating some of that conversation. I mean, it's it's all an opportunity, I think. Well, I think, I, I think, oh, go ahead, Woody. I was going to say, I think that whole, the, the conversation is really where it gets people moving in the right direction because I, for one, and maybe I'm just too damn old or whatever, but if you tell me to go Google something, I know I'm going to screw up. I'm going to end up in the rabbit hole that's all the wrong spots and giving me all the wrong information. But if I can have that conversation with someone my thought process is going to refine as we go and I'm going to be able to far better have a clearer picture of what I'm trying to ask because of the actual conversation. So like Wicked is getting at, and I, I really love the way he just phrased it. You need to be willing to have those conversations with people because it's going to give them a far better comprehension of what they're looking for. Otherwise, they're hoping they typed in the right phrase at the right point to get the echo chamber they need and not just find a rabbit hole that's so toxic it's not worth it. Well, and that's and I think that right there is is kind of hitting the nail on the head because it's especially when you see the online interactions. That's exactly what's happening. You have people that know how to use the right words at the right time that don't actually when you see them in person, it, it doesn't match and you know, it doesn't match. And so it's like, yeah, you talk a good game online. So people think, oh, you, you're this pillar in the community, but then their actions aren't matching necessarily what they're spouting, or you see that their behaviors just don't quite match up. Little, little things will happen and they slip up and those folks will fly under the radar for years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Years. A lot of times they that's who starts becoming staff at places because you know they seem like they really know their shit they're on top of their game but you know i think kind of to the other side of it there's a lot of folks that just don't understand that their language is problematic there's a lot of folks that don't understand why it's hurtful and that to me is a completely separate problem and you're not going to be able to necessarily address that in a in what i feel is a comprehensive way because they have to want to learn, you know, all we can do is provide the avenues and the vectors for learning. They still have to kind of seize it. So, you know, and that's why I, I equate it to leather culture as a whole, because when you come into leather, if you don't want it, people aren't going to teach you about it. If you don't want to learn it, you don't want to embrace it. You don't want to respect it. No one's going to give you the time of day. And I feel like with a lot of this stuff, it kind of follows in the same vein. And in the chat, 
it was just mentioned. Um, sometimes I feel like people have no patience for grace. I wonder if yes. people are just burned out from bad experiences with people. And I think that's what it is because, you know, going back to, you know, the example I gave about race, not everybody can have those conversations and they don't have a responsibility to, you know, they don't owe you those explanations. When you go to someone and say, I'm curious about your lived experience, they're under no obligation to share that information with you. That's intimate. But at the same time, if no one is willing to share, yep, that's now learning in a vacuum. And that's where I think things get dangerous. And so I think if you know that you're one of those folks that, that can't have some of these conversations because of whatever reason, at least be willing to say, I can't talk to you about this, but here's someone who might, you know, if you're going to be looking for information, go this way. And I do feel like it's still often an unfair burden to place on another human being, but I don't necessarily see a better way to go about it. That's, that's the, probably the biggest catch 22. And I actually had this conversation recently with someone in the last few days. Um, and it was about people of color specifically. I won't get into the semantics here because I'm not digging into that particular topic, but it's in a similar vein and it runs parallel to what we're talking about in that they were not inclined to talk about it, but the other person, while open, was a little pushy on their desire to learn. And unfortunately, that can also be an issue, but the main problem, I think, for right now with the community as a whole is, and it's, I could do a whole episode on community alone, especially with the state of things right now, but specifically in the fact that there's not enough people who are willing which is a key element who are willing to take the time to help others i think there's a distinct lack that used to be a greater there used to be many more let me put it that way not to say that they were all over the place and you couldn't find one without shaking a stick i mean it depends on the community depends on the people etc but i feel like there's definitely a delinquency in how many people are willing to embrace the ability to take the time out to help others learn the way. And I think there's a, there's a variety of reasons for that. It's not a single one problem. You know, COVID has contributed to that. The internet has contributed to that, but it still ends up well, being the same problem where if you're not willing to help take the time out, and I'm not saying everybody should, again, you are allowed to say, maybe I don't have the energy for this or not the right mentality for this, whatever. But someone has to be able to, otherwise nobody learns it. What's their favorite phrase? You don't know what you don't know. And another thing I think, too, is is sometimes, you know, I'll pick on this panel. You know, why not? Sometimes people like us can sometimes just get so used to answering the questions or used to being the, the person that, you know, provides the direction for others that we forget that there's people that may have been in the community for like two years, three years, we'll just say post COVID that do have a lot of information and people just don't know to ask them. So mm -hmm. maybe if we, yeah. if we went like people, it's not that I don't think it's that there is not an abundance of people that have a lot of knowledge. I think it's more, there's an abundance of people that don't know they have a lot of knowledge and they yes. don't, they aren't somebody that people are used to asking. So if we start maybe going, you know what, that's a really good question. 
have you ever considered talking to this person about it? You know, they might be willing to share a lot of their life experiences and a lot of their knowledge, but one, they don't know to put themselves out there like that. And two, you know, they, people don't know to ask them. Mm -hmm. And we get stuck in our own rut of just being used to knowing what resources to give or knowing what stories to tell and, and not used to going, you know what, that person over there probably has more like recent stories or, you know, more stories that might be relevant to, to, you know, this, the generation that you're in and, and have more better vernacular than we do. So it, it might just be, and which ties into the whole, you know, what we're going to talk later in the podcast that might help us not get so burnt out. If we, if we pass that along to the, Hey, have you thought, have you thought to talk about this person? Well, I think that's a, a bit of a, a shift in the community as a whole from where it used to be to where it kind of is now. When I got into all this 20 some years ago, the expectation was there from the people that had been around for any serious length of time that they were, I don't want to say required, but they knew that they were the resource for those of us that were new coming in. And if they didn't have the answer, they pointed you in another direction. Lord knows there's been plenty of people who've asked me things. It's like, Hey, that's not my wheelhouse. But from what I understand or the people I know, you should go here. And I think people just kind of lost that ability or, or desire along the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think something that we're definitely talking about is just because you're new to leather, to kink, to whatever, does not mean you were born the day before. Exactly. Right? So we're all coming in with with life knowledge and the value of that and that's where we're talking about not skipping over people. Um, so, I mean, just, just because somebody's been in, in the community for a week does not mean they were born a week and a day ago. <laughs> no, and it doesn't mean you can't learn something from them. Absolutely. Uh, and this is, a, this is a conversation Wicked and I had not long ago when we were hanging out with some others about the nature of Boise's 101 community where everybody's so stuck in 101 mode. Mm-hmm. And I won't say single-handedly because that's not entirely fair, but Wicked is having a large driving push in why the community is starting to move forward again beyond that. Because it wasn't. It was stagnating here, as I've talked mm-hmm. about numerous times before. Because no one was willing to take the stick and drive it. Well, and I, I think... Not to be mean to anyone who's been running it before that. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I I think part of the part of the problem, or, or you know, kind of talking about what what you're mentioning, Dartax, and and then before that is it, it for me anecdotally, it seems people have kind of confused unsafe versus uncomfortable. 
right? Un unsafe, we can point to that. We know what unsafe is, right? That's somebody that's not willing to learn. That's a, you know, a, a big safety risk and, and doing, you know, aggressively bad things, right? Versus uncomfortable, whether that's in play or just the people you're around, uncomfortable can be okay. And the more we stay in our safety bubble, the less we're going to continue to grow and learn and expand ourselves. And so uncomfortable can be, um, I'll use myself in a, as an example, I'm not anymore, but you know, when I was in the military or in law enforcement, you know, people perceived me as being unsafe in the community. Those things don't make me inherently unsafe. They make may make people uncomfortable, but that's where people start sharing ideas, understanding better where people are coming from and and creating a better and healthier conversation instead of um, I guess creating their their little pocket of, this is us and this is what's comfortable and we're not going to expand out of that. Nothing wrong with living in your comfort zone. There really isn't. Um, I mean, we all to a point are creatures of comfort in one way, shape or form. We have our favorite coffee, our favorite, you know, snack, our favorite kink, our goat, you know, um, we all have it. I think where you run into the challenges is when you're projecting your comfort level onto the community that you're involved in. And, and when you perpetuate that comfort level and don't make room for people who, who don't fit into it or want to push past those levels, it doesn't mean that you have to, but it also means that you don't have to get in their way if they want to. You, you're more than welcome to stay within your comfort levels as long as you're not getting in the way of other people expanding from them. Absolutely. And I think that that's a huge thing for people to get around, to, to wrap around their head. You know, we were just, it, it's funny, we were just having this conversation at the dungeon the other day is just because it's wrong for you doesn't mean it's wrong for me. It just means it's wrong for you you know, or it's not comfortable for you. And I think when we don't expand ourselves with knowledge and we get, we get a little too comfortable with, you know, the words to go back to what Knox was saying, you know, the words that we use or, you know, the, the vocabulary that we use and we refuse to grow ourselves. It doesn't, necessarily make room for other people to want to grow because they're like oh well they've been around the longest and if they're not changing then maybe we shouldn't either and i think that's over time that can be where a lot of this you know can come from especially communities that seem to stay stagnant is the the old timers are old timers for a reason you know facts they're the ones that aren't transient and are staying put and when you constantly have people coming into communities and it's nothing but, you know, quote unquote, the old timers running everything, 
it doesn't always leave room for the people who are new to expand. Mm -hmm. No, but I also think there's another side to that that I think people forget when we're talking about kink in general. You know, because we keep bringing up this comment about being uncomfortable and things being okay to be uncomfortable. Isn't the very nature of kink things that make us a little uncomfortable? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that the whole point That's to begin pushing with? Boundaries. Right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that to like use it as a, a crutch to beat anybody with. Like I'm not suggesting it in a in a counterpoint like that so much as I think people need to remember and reevaluate the way they look at their community sometimes. Because they're missing that. Isn't that the whole point was exploring boundaries that made us feel a little weird? So we could see mm -hmm. what we wanted and didn't want. And it kind of dives into that darker side of our psyche. So why should we suddenly be afraid to be uncomfortable if that's the very nature of what we do? It's counterproductive well, to a point. There's a difference between being uncomfortable in play and then being uncomfortable when it comes to social constructs. True. Um, I mean, and I think a lot of what we're discussing today is more of the social construct aspect of it. Because the we're all uncomfortable with play. You learn something, you see something, you're like, Oh God, that's hot. Why am I attracted to it? Oh my God. You know, and the, and the meltdown starts, right. And all the questioning, the anxiety, and I got to learn about this stuff and the safety. But when we talk about social constructs, that framework's not there. We're, we're all taught inherently. Don't be an asshole. We're all oh, taught inherently to, well, they better be. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they internalize the lesson. No, the I, lesson just because they were taught didn't mean they learned it. Correct. <laughs> but Fair. I mean, we, we all learn to, you know, especially as children, we're taught to be empathetic towards those that are around us, you know, try to make friends and things like that. And as we get older, there's a shift that happens and it gets more internalized and you start looking more inward. And so true. now that people, and I will say this, I think COVID had a beneficial effect on community and the world at large for letting marginalized people get their voices heard faster and better and stronger. The flip side to that has been you have people now coming out and I'll say starting to interact in the wild with each other because they don't have these frameworks. A lot of these unintentional hurts are happening yes. without malice. It's, it's not mm -hmm. malicious, but it's still there. It's still a harm that's happening. And so you know, I don't think there's, I mean, I'll say this broadly. We all know Nazis are bad. Nobody's going to walk up to a Nazi and say, I want to rehabilitate you. Right. <laughs> That's not in my wheelhouse. Right. I'm not here for that. You're bad. I don't want to interact with you. You're not my people. I don't want to associate with you. And that's a fair assumption. No, it's a think. great, it is a good example. It is. You know, but that is the extreme. What ends up happening is not the extreme. You hear about the extremes. Of course. Right? You hear about the extreme transphobia. You hear about TERFs and things like that. But when you look at actual communities and you really start diving into your own community, you're going to find that the harm being caused is still just as dramatic. But it's, it's on a different scale. These are not people that are going out preaching incel-type ideologies. They're people that just don't have basic language to understand that they're dealing with people that are different than themselves and they're not willing to ask the questions. I mean, it's not difficult when you say, um, you know, what's your name? What would you like to be called? What are your pronouns? It's a very simple thing to ask that shows respect and consent. 
And that way, you know where you stand with that other person. Now you have a framework to start building on for your social interaction. And to me, somebody that comes up and introduces themselves in that kind of a way, one of two things has probably happened. They've had a misstep and somebody has called them out for it, or they themselves are in a marginalized community and they feel compelled to make sure that they're heard. And I'm finding with those that have had those missteps, they get slapped down enough they stop reaching out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they they get they get corrected in manners that are extremely harsh because and admittedly the other person you know if if you've been misgendered 30 times you're going to be upset about it. You know, you're going to be absolutely militant about making sure people respect you. And I think that's correct. To that person that it's their first time dealing with somebody that they've not met before and you slap them down with the same intensity and rage of the 30 people it can be a hard pill to swallow. And it can turn people away. And that's the part that I, I feel that those folks tend to get canceled faster because then they, they leave the community as a whole. Clearly, yes. this was not meant for me. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're in a sense self-selecting back out. So they didn't even get a chance to get canceled. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. And, but they also never had a chance to educate and correct themselves to understand that what they said was incorrect. And not all of us have you know, the fairy godmother to help us to say, hey, let me take you under my ring because you're saying dumb shit. Let me help you with this. You know, not everybody has that patient person in their life that says, hey, I see you trying. Let me help you. And and I think that's what we're missing within the leather community as a whole. There's so much of the knowledge and, and just the, the wealth of information that's out there that's closeted away. You know, people squirrel it into these these little libraries that they build, and it disappears because nobody knows that you have it. Right. And they can't capitalize off of it if you don't tell people, you know, what's out there and what's available. And instead, we just let these people drift away, and they get embittered. You know, they get angry. They start thinking kink is not for them. Leather people are assholes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. And then all you're doing is reaffirming those negative thought processes that they have. And now they can't communicate because they don't want to. I think the the worst part of that, and I'm not in any way saying that it's right, because it's definitely not. But the number of people I've talked to as a whole in the last couple of years who have been either turned off to kink or to their local community because the wrong person crossed their path when it comes to something like transphobia or similar, where there was just the wrong person on the wrong day. And now they're embittered against a particular group of people simply because of a terrible miscommunication on a bad day. And I'm not saying that means that it was okay for that person to reach that level. Cause obviously that's not okay either. That's not healthy, but it's happening whether it's healthy or not. It's, it's one of those things that you have to look at and be able to say, however uncomfortably, I don't think this is right, but it's still there. It's kind of like when we talk about, you know, the auction groups and the harem groups and whatnot that we still, we don't like associating with kink, but they're part of kink for the uninitiated, whether yeah, we like yeah. it or not. It's the same idea. We don't have to like it. It doesn't change the facts that it is still a thing. And I'm not what, saying that means there's thing. a magic fix button either. Mm-hmm, no. One thing I I I really want to I guess put out there. I don't know if this will be a a hot take. I I think it won't be at least within this 
within this group, but anecdotally, just my experience, you know, in, in kink and leather and all of, you know, all of this sort of stuff over the last eight years is making sure all of these things, inclusion and conversations and all that sort of stuff goes all directions, it does. you know, because for, for me, you know, being a white, cis, straight male, um, I can't tell you how many times I've been told I don't belong here, that I'm not, I'm not queer enough. I'm not alternative enough. I'm, I'm not so on and so forth right. enough, you know, alt to be here. And, you know, if, if I were somebody that had any sort of, you know, prejudice or anything like that, I'd feel more, I guess, anger and resentment kind of coming towards alternative lifestyles or alternative groups or what have you because i'm being told i don't belong here i'm feeling i'm feeling that sort of flip and so i i think i think having that inclusion in all directions is as important for one group as it is another group and i i i I just think that's very important and something that tends to get lost sometimes is, you know, hey, this this inclusion thing, this bringing people in and safe and comfortable space for everybody, that also counts toward the white, cis, straight males. And just, the, just as much as it does everybody else, as long as everybody's got the intent of being inclusive and healthy and all of the things i think everybody's deserves a seat at the table and a seat you know a space within this community i'm i'm not far off from you well i might be a little bit further off than you because i had a few <laughs> other labels like you know i don't lean the same way most people do in the community politically um i just don't give two shits about how people think in that regard um where Knox was at you know it doesn't take a lot of energy to say hey what do you want to be called what are your pronouns I'm just too damn tired most of the time to worry about people's pronouns so anymore it's just what do you want to be called if you require energy for me to know beyond that I don't have it I'll call you what you want to be called I don't care if you've got gorilla hairy legs and an adam's apple if you're rocking a dress i'm gonna assume you want to be feminine today i'm gonna treat you accordingly i'm going with the visual cues you give me and the name you want to be called that's the extent of the energy i have it's not a phobia one way or the other i just don't give two shits enough for people really i just don't care and that has become a problem because people are like well you're phobic no, I'm not. I don't sleep with you. You're not you're not part of my small knit family, so I just don't care. And that has become an issue because people assume that or see that and just add it to the well you're a straight white male, so you must be transphobic. No, I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care how you want to do you. That's on you. It doesn't affect me in the way shape or form. So 
not going to hurt me. Not trying to hurt your feelings either. Tell me what you want to be called and we'll leave it at that. And yet I get told I'm offensive half the time because I don't put the energy into it. I would, I would say I, I, I subscribe a little bit to, to what you're saying, but I internalize it and point it towards me more than I point it out. Um, you know, I, I have a very stock answer now when people say, you know, what are your pronouns? I tell people whatever I say, I have any perceived pronoun. And they're and they just look at me because like they know that, me. Actually, I really like that. And answer. and I say I say look I said you know, however you perceive me is okay. If you want to call me sir, then that's the energy you're getting from me. If you want to call me ma'am, if you want to call me Rue, uh, it it does not matter to me if you they me. It's any perceived pronouns because ultimately, and I tell people this now in panels that I've done classes, everything. I say, how you perceive me has absolutely no bearing on how I view myself. It's your perception of me. It's the energy you're getting from me. And so if that's what makes you comfortable to interact with me, I'm open to it. I, I, I can get behind that 100%. You'd right. be surprised the reactions I get. And, and I tell them, I'm like, I wake up every day in the same body, in the same mind. And how whatever honorific or whatever name or however you refer to me isn't going to change how I wake up tomorrow morning. So it's to your comfort level. I'm okay. Now, I won't go as far as to say I don't care about other people's pronouns or how they navigate the world. I always do my best and I, I beg for forgiveness when I do thoroughly, if I, if I offend somebody, it is never with intent. And that's another thing that I try to explain to people too, is if, if you are not, if you are not um, navigating the world in the gender or the perception that you are portraying outwardly, then it, if you could at least do it with grace, and try to try to understand people's intent before um, anything else, then you would probably realize that everybody has the best of intentions and they are yet still human and are going to mess up. I think that that's a good way of putting it. And that's kind of where I try to come off with, what do you want to be called? Um, my partner and I have uh, a friend of ours who uh, I'm not even a hundred percent sure I remember right now where they're at on the on the whole sliding scale of things. I know what name they go by. Um, I know some days they're a little bit more feminine, some days they're a little bit more masculine. And instead of me having to try and figure out what day it is, I just know the name, and I just refer to them by the name and it works really easy because they know I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to downplay anything. It's just, I, I don't have to guess at it. I don't have to know if I'm screwing it up and I'm not doing it maliciously. Your name's this, we go with this. Well, that, that actually ties into, there was an article I came across yesterday through uh, someone on 
because that'll bother me if I don't. Shrimp Is it teeth. Is the shrimp? It? Yep, shrimp, shrimp teeth. teeth. Yeah. And it's this amazing article about cancel culture specifically. And I'm not going to dive too deep into that because I'm not trying to just shit on cancel culture as part of the topic. That's not the point. You know, it's not the point of the story. So we're going to move on from that part of it. But there's a really good point in the middle of the article about when did we as a communal culture start being more concerned with what everybody else thought over ourselves, even when it's about ourselves. And it's a great point. I personally have been a polysexual, polyamorous, pansexual, panromantic. I could add a few more. I need a freaking chicken guts like a meddled officer to describe all the things that I identify as. <laughs> I am not the traditional cishet white male. But I don't expect you to know that because that is how I present. How would you know? And that has been my entire adult life now. So going on some paces older than some people that are, you know, in the kink scene now. And I don't say that to make it of my own age. It's just the truth. I happen to have started at a very young age. I've never, ever figured you would know on site who I am and how I identify. How could you? None of it's written on my forehead. You know? So... So I'm going to interject here because there's a comment in the chat that I wholeheartedly agree with. Yes. Um, people who have struggled to be seen, accepted, and honored deserve our best efforts to treat and address them as they choose. Those of us who didn't go through that aren't in the position to tell them that it's no big deal because to them it is. And this is something that I've, I've actually seen this firsthand. Um, several of the members of my community have gender identities that don't match their outward appearance for a lot of different reasons. You know, not everybody is able to go through the full gamut of things that they would like to do to make the insides match the outsides. Right. A lot of different reasons. But it doesn't mean that that becomes invalid because they're not presenting to me a specific way. And I have absolutely watched especially in these post-COVID interactions. You know, when you when you help manage a play space, you, you become an, an expert in watching people. Mm -hmm. And I have watched I have watched people approach each other for play, for for dating, whatever. And you see it on their face as soon as the other person is not understanding what's happening. And they crumple like a little spider. And they do get dimmer. And they start shutting themselves off. And it's absolutely unfortunate to watch happen. It's heartbreaking. Absolutely. And it's, and it's all because people are just not open-minded enough. You know, how hard is it to just be respectful? You know, and, and again, bringing it back to, to leather culture, we're founded on the premise of respect and integrity and ethics. And, and so if I can't extend that, and accountability especially. But if I can't extend that to the person I'm interacting with, I'm going to argue that you don't actually possess those qualities that you think you do. You know, and to watch, absolutely, watching them blossom when they are treated and perceived as, as they want to be treated and perceived. 100%. Absolutely. You know, I, I would never tell someone that their expression is somehow incorrect. That's not my place. I'm not living their life. I don't know them. And even if I am sexually intimate with them, even if I am in a relationship with them, I can't tell them how to choose to identify. 
you know, even within my power dynamics, I don't change their core identity. That's what attracted me to them. And so to to watch people walk up, because I see this a lot too, you'll be in classes and, and people, you know, you, you go around the room, hi, my name is so-and-so, and my pronouns are, you know, whatever you choose to share. And I have absolutely watched the faces of some folks when somebody says, call me whatever you want, it doesn't matter. And you see their face just sink because they're like, I don't matter because they internalize it. You're now saying by proxy that my gender doesn't matter, which means you're not recognizing me for the person that I'm trying to show the world who I am. And it's it has a very damaging effect on their on their mental health, especially in social circles. And I mean, I will say this, and it's going to be controversial, but as somebody who is cisgendered, that's a privilege that we don't ever have to deal with. You know, we don't have to worry about somebody questioning our gender identity because, you know, what we're presenting matches what we're saying. But for someone that those don't match, that will absolutely make or break your decision to be a part of that community. And it's heartbreaking. And you see it not go in a way that's mutually beneficial and respectful, and they walk away. And, and I'm not kidding when I say they look defeated. And, and it's, it is harm. You can look at them and see the harm. And so I can't, for the life of me, in good faith, wanting to say that I want to interact with other humans, I can't imagine inflicting that on someone and going, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. That's my community. You know, and that's, and granted, that's my thought. And I stand by that. It's, it's, that's mine. And I know I might be unique in that. But, you know, I, I, I don't believe any of us wakes up in the morning. And it's like, how many people can I harm today? You know, that's, that's not exactly. a goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do, but, but for totally unrelated reasons. But, but, but that's my point, though, right? It, right. That extends. We always tar- harp about the stuff around play, and we harp about the stuff around consent and things like that. But we don't always extend that same ideology to the social frameworks that we have for interacting with each other when we're not trying to be kinky. You know, when we're not trying to engage in a scene. You know, what do you do the other 23 hours of the day when you're not in a scene with each other, you know, and it, and it all comes back to these social frameworks. And I feel like we have a responsibility to each other just from an ethical standpoint to not be shitty. And I think people forget that because we get so caught up in our own identity and trying to live our own truth and trying to push that out into the world. But we don't realize we're causing someone else's light to dim a little bit because we're being so obnoxious. So. You you keep talking about the the seeing that that light dim or they kind of crumble in on themselves and I've seen it. I don't know if I've ever actually mentally thought of it in that regard, but to me, I've always associated it with you've got that puppy that just feels like they got scolded even though they didn't, and you can see the whole body just shift and it's very subtle, but it's there. And if you notice it. And yeah, it is it, it it is probably one of the biggest crimes this community is capable of doing without realizing it on a daily basis. And I've flat out told people I'm as salty as it gets, and I just don't generally have the energy for it. But even someone like me has the capability of sitting there going, what the hell just happened and who did what to make this person feel that way? 
and it's it's always heartbreaking to see it because they're just another human being. I, I've got a very dear friend of mine who literally, I think she just got home from the hospital two days ago from finally finishing up bottom surgery. And I met her shortly after she started the hormone therapies and all that. And she is a true gem of a human being. And I've never once thought of her as anything other than what she wanted to be and how she wanted to be perceived. And it's like, there was no excess energy needed on my part. There was no finding a way to not associate her as the female she became or always was, or I don't know, whatever the hell to phrase it, but the woman she is. And it was, I've seen people interact with her. And it's always funny to me to sit there and see you get that stereotypical, and I I can get away with this because I probably am one, inbred hillbilly honky dumb fuck. And they get that transphobic, and all of a sudden there's somebody like me coming up, and it's like, dude, you and I are about to go have a conversation at the woodpile and it's not going to be good for you because what you just did is fucked up. And while I might be a salty SOB, I'm not going to let you do that. And to see a cis white, you know, supposed to be transphobic, whatever human being stand up for it. It's like you see them crumble and then all of a sudden it's like, I just gave you some miracle grow and boom, you came back 10 times stronger. It's shitty they had to go through it. And I hate seeing it but I'm never going to step down from not helping out if I can see it. I think sometimes people forget, and I specifically mean people in that, in that neutral territory category of it's not that they mean harm. They just don't know any better. It takes nothing to stop and give that person their space to be themselves. It doesn't even take any energy on our part to just give them that moment. Even if you you had a brain fart, you're three days without sleep and you're not thinking straight. It takes nothing to be like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to dismiss you. How do you refer to yourself or how do you identify so I can call you appropriately? Just that little bit sometimes can mean everything because you're giving them their space to be themselves. And that's all they want is to be recognized. Just the same way we want to be recognized. When you walk through the door and someone says hello, you feel recognized. That's all they're looking for. It's the same idea. It's using slightly different tools, but it's the same thing. It shouldn't take any more energy to do so. You're right. It shouldn't shouldn't take any more energy. You're exactly right. I mean, it's the same energy that we (coughs) extend in every other aspect of our life you know if you're if i mean think of it this way if you were think of your job if you were at a work conference would it matter if you pissed off the people that you were around the conference with and would it be socially acceptable to look at them and go i i i just don't care i i don't have the energy to care if it's made you mad, you know, do we, do we look at the, do we look at kink and do we look at the, the clubs that we attend and the dungeons and the communities that we interact with? And do we take for granted that because it's social, we don't have to, because it doesn't put food on our table and forget about the fact that it's still individual human beings that we're dealing with. It just might be a different social structure. It might be because it's not work, you know, do we put, do we put a different, 
importance on it. You know, if it was family, you know, if it, you know, you use the example, um, you know, that it was a very dear friend of yours, you know, it, I wonder sometimes if it's easier, quote unquote, not that it should be, but if it's some, in some people's minds, if it's easier to not put the energy in or not feel the need to put the energy in, because sometimes we feel because it's social, because a lot of the people that you have these interactions with aren't your inner circle, then it, it, it doesn't matter to you, but it doesn't mean that it still doesn't matter. You know, technically some of the people that I interact with, you know, at work conventions or work related incidences, they, they aren't part of my inner circle. They're not people maybe I work with on a daily basis. But in the back of my mind, am I putting a higher importance on them because it's work-related? You know, is it, a prof is it in a professional environment so that it has a different social construct to it? Um, and I think that yes. if we just viewed no matter what construct we, we navigate in, if we just viewed humans as humans, um, it might be easier. Because I, I call myself an old, an old fart all the time, you know, with my community, because I am. You know, my community's age demographic has significantly shifted post-COVID. You know, the average age of the person that we interact with in the dungeon is less than 30 years old. And so, or less than 35 at least. And so I've had to completely restructure my mind and how I think and how I view and how I interact with people because, you know, that's the people that I was forced through you know, the community to interact with, um, for the good. I'm not complaining. I've grown a, a lot. It's taken a lot of patience from a few people that I've had to have real conversations with. And a lot of it was just, it was, it goes back to that comfort zone. It was easy for me to just live in the comfort of the words that were in my head. And it took somebody not necessarily, I don't necessarily see eye to eye with this person on a lot of things. Um, they're non-binary. They go by they, them. They are younger than my own children, but yet they were willing to sit with me and, and do the hard work where I could ask the offensive questions and I could take a while to get through some offensive language to truly understand the origins from a different standpoint of the words that we use. And it was like, okay. And, and they, they agreed to do it with me. You know, there was no um, offense. There was no way to miscommunicate because we both came to the table going, I'm probably going to piss you off. And we, we did piss each other off a few times, but we were determined to like, okay, let's work through this. And it, I, I owe them a lot and I give them kudos for, for allowing me to be able to do that work with them. Um, but I wonder sometimes if we need to, you know, take a lot of the attributes that we that we give to other aspects of our life besides kink and if we maybe applied those to our kink life if it would be easier for us to to adapt and change something that's that's i i, I guess left an impression with me is is what woody was talking about of the importance of standing up for others and and 
setting that good example and particularly as being um white men um and and maybe having that perceived sort of uh status or or what have you the importance of those the the importance of creating that safe environment and shutting down any sort of problematic language or behavior i think comes that much more important so that i mean just anybody in any sort of position of status or regard um if they can set the set the standard and lead by example i think it's that much more important but something else that i was i i was really thinking about from what woody was saying is you know and, and i don't mean to make any assumptions about you woody but just speaking for myself you know being straight white cis male don't write us off don't write us off because we're we are still here we're learning the language we're you know we're being as inclusive and you know all of all of those things as we can and you know i i don't i don't know anything of what it's like to be a trans person or you know any of these other different labels gay or or anything like that i don't know i don't have those firsthand experiences but i'm willing to be at the table and to learn and communicate and all of these things and so it's important not to write write us off because we're not quote unquote queer enough or we're not um you know, al alternative in some way enough or something, you know, something kind of along those lines. I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's about that at all, truly. It, it's not about you not being something enough. It's about folks not being extended common decency. It's about not showing a common respect. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And when we're talking about like, the situation around council culture specifically, you know, it's, it's typically folks that say out loud, you're right, someone named harm, I'm taking accountability for it, here's the cool statement that I'm going to make where I sound very sad and I let you know that I, I hear you and I'm taking things to heart, but then their behavior doesn't change. It's the people that keep saying, yes, you're right, I caused harm, I'm sorry, I want to educate myself and do better, but then they don't. It's in its, I mean, obviously it's going to be perceived differently depending on which, you know, community you're a part of and, and how you identify, but it's, it's almost an unwillingness to change, you know, and, and a lot of it too, you know, you, you can read as many blog posts and, and, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. There's only so much you can do before you actually start internalizing the information that you're taking in. And there's got to be that willingness to change. And if, if there's no willingness to change to match the culture that you're around, eventually you are going to be, in essence, removed from, from that society because they're going to deem the behavior to be unwanted. And that's really, I mean, when you look at, you know, a lot of the laws for our country and stuff like that, it's based around behaviors that we deemed to not be acceptable. 
And I think with the with cancel culture specifically, there are just certain behaviors and certain things that people have decided that's a hard limit for me and I refuse to engage with that. So if you do that, I'm not engaging with you. But it morphs. There, there's something unique in kink that happens where it morphs and it becomes almost like a militaristic attacking. Now, instead of saying, I just don't want to interact with you, stay away from me, it turns into, I not only have to kick you out, but I need to have you kicked out and beaten down so soundly that you never crawl back again. And that's the part of cancel culture that I find to be dangerous. Yes. Um, that's that's the I, part that I feel like is is not conducive to the community as a whole. Um, because, I mean, it's that's when you start seeing people that are being doxxed, harassed, stalked, swatted, you know, things like that. And, and I've seen it happen within the kink lifestyle. You know, oh, yes. I have, I have, I, I have seen absolute attacks happen. And it, it's... And it's dangerous. Oh, it absolutely. It's not even limited to the lifestyle, but because that is the nature of who we are and where we are here, it's absolutely a part of this conversation. Because cancel culture as a whole, there's no holds barred in any arena they're involved in. I think Knox hit it on the nail really well with that. I, I, it literally brought up dealing with our children, right? You can say you're sorry, but if the actions don't change, sorry loses its value very quickly yeah. as a matter if of you fact. said i'm sorry for the same thing a hundred times you're not sorry you're sorry you got caught that's it no i agree with that that's something i'm actively teaching my own family because yeah it's not saying you're sorry it's the intent behind it that's the key not the words themselves and it i think that's the part that we always end up it's kind of a sum up for a lot of the topic as a whole is it's never the words themselves. That's the bottom line. It's the intent behind them and how it's conveyed and how ethical it is. It always should come down to being ethical, no matter what the intent, no matter how well-meaning. And I know that's easier said than done for some, but be less worried about how many times you say you're sorry and be more concerned with how you show it. Especially. Yeah, and Go ahead. No, I was just saying they're putting in the chat, you know, agreed the best apology is changed behavior. Yes, exactly. I, I just to touch on because it's it's part of the topic for a reason is the, the communal nature of Wicked's touched upon it, Woody's touched upon it. We've all touched upon it, really. And it's nothing we haven't said here before, but it's worth bringing up again because it is that important. When you actively choose to be involved in a community, especially in any capacity of responsibility, and when I say that, I don't mean you have to be a moderator, you don't have to be an event organizer, you don't have to be a lead, you don't even have to be an educator. If you are involved, and by involved I mean even if you show up and other people look at you for more than five minutes for answers, I don't care if it's two people. The moment someone else is looking to you for direction, whether you asked for it or not, there's an ethical, to an extent, don't get me wrong, there's no blanket on this, just so we're clear. There's Because there's obviously more than one side to this equation. But there's a level of ethical responsibility you owe to being able to act a certain way in a community you're helping build. 
at least to some extent. Because others are now looking to you for direction, and that will include how you react to certain things, how you approach certain things. And no, it isn't your job to be everybody's spokesperson or idol by any stretch. It's much like, you know, I've had this conversation with people for my entire life. Celebrities chose to be celebrities whether they like it or not. They've chosen the responsibility that comes with being an icon in our culture whether they like it or not. And while, yes, they have certain rights, they waived some of them by choosing to be in the limelight. It's not because they don't get a choice. It's that you've taken on a portion of that responsibility, especially if you're in any kind of dom or top kind of, you know, if you're any part of the top side of the slash, whether it's a dominant, a master, whatever it might be, Responsibility is already a part of your makeup, or should be in any case. There's no reason not to approach things with the best ethical step forward you can. And if you can't, for whatever reason, have the ability to say something very simple. I'm not sure how to approach this. And I don't want you to feel misrepresented. Or some other format of that. Doing our best to take miscommunication out of the equation to the best of our ability. We're not saints. Mistakes happen. That's where the accountability comes in. It's putting the effort forward, not the words. And and I agree. It's in, you know, we're we can't be the social police for everybody. Right. right? Because, I mean, because we also teach self-advocacy, we teach that, you know, people, you know, need to make decisions for themselves on who they interact with, who they choose to, to be around, things of that nature. Um, and, and going back to, you know, a couple of the comments in the chat, you know, you're, a lot of what a couple of you are saying is right. You know, I can't change the fact that I am that I, I can't change the fact that I'm white you know I internally can't change who how I identify because it is who I am right but what I can change is who I associate with and I might not be able to share other people's lived experiences but I can help to make sure that other people's lived experiences aren't negated over people who who choose not to see them. And so if it means that I I choose to spend my energy, you know, seeing the people that that want to be seen for who they are and and maybe don't have the self-advocacy skills to be seen for who they are, then then that becomes an easy choice for me. You know, that that becomes very easy where I might I I can't control other people's opinions and how they choose to navigate, but I can choose not to give them any more voice than what they've got. And sometimes arguing with people or trying to force change on people is only giving them a platform. Yes. 100%. It's only giving them a platform. And if you, if you choose not to engage and choose not to be around to me, sometimes silence and sometimes disengagement 
it says more than words ever could. Absolutely. And so for me, if I have to spend energy, then I'm going to spend energy making sure that I'm doing what I can to help the people that maybe, you know, and it might go back to what I do for a living. It probably does. Um, you know, it, to helping people who maybe don't have the same uh, confidence in their voice, maybe as I do. And, and then so be it. But we can, we can make change either by being loud and by arguing and trying to convince, or we can make change with actions. And, and I think sometimes it's important to remember that there are other ways of doing it. You know, by not giving people platforms, by not giving them the ability to perpetuate what can be, what is perceived as, as harmful to people and what is harmful to people. When it's, I, I want to respond to what Cosmopolite said in the chat, because people can take accountability without being forgiven. And I absolutely, I absolutely yes. love that statement on so many levels. Because I have had it ha now. Granted, it's been years since it's come up for me. And it was long before the current political face of kink is what it is today. But I had to learn the hard way many years back. Say I'm holding myself accountable, but that does not obligate you to let it go. You're allowed to still be upset with me about that, whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to process for the first time if you stepped in it, so to speak. If you're dealing with it directly instead of, you know, I learned it the hard knocks way and I hope not everybody has to. But you absolutely are not obligated to be forgiven just because you hold yourself accountable to what you've done. Yep. Especially if you are actively part of a community. It is perfectly okay to say you're still entitled to be upset with me if that's what you need to do. And to walk away from that and let them have it. I feel like if you are engaging with the community, you actually have a higher responsibility. Yes, because, exactly. And I'm going to put it in very plain speak. If, if, you're, if you're just being an asshole because that's who you are, cool, be an asshole in your own home. But if you're going to be an asshole... And engage with the community. Understand that people don't have to accept that. Exactly. And so you're probably not going to be well received if that's the course of action you you keep pushing, right? And and that's the thing is being involved in community is something we choose. You know, clearly we're compelled somehow. But engaging in community is a choice. Not everybody that engages in kink and fetish has to engage in community. They choose to. And there's a lot of different reasons why people do that. And it kind of harkens back to what we were discussing earlier about, you know, how we behave with people that we work with versus people that we choose to interact with. And I think that that's a prime example. When we choose to interact with people, I'm giving you my free time. And I expect that gift to be taken in kind, which means when I interact with other people, I'm treating it as a gift in kind and community that someone's willing to have a conversation with me, whether it's a hard one or not, any conversation, because I'm not owed that, you know, and I think 
you know, if, if I'm if I'm at work and I'm on the clock, I'm being paid to interact with people in a specific way. But when I choose to engage with my kink community and my leather community, I feel like there's a higher responsibility to not just behave yourself, but to actually do better because you're doing it on with purpose. Yes. You're not accidentally bumble fucking into community. You're pointedly <laughs> engaging in community, trying to get something back. And if you're not willing to invest into those around you, and sometimes that means taking accountability for things that you said or, or something that you've done. And I'm going to ask you, why are you there? Because to me, that means your motivations to me are not pure. And that tells me that you're probably not somebody that I want to continue to engage with. And there's a lot of people that feel like they're owed community. And no one is owed community. You know, and, and that's why I say your investment into them dictates how community invests back into you. And if you're not showing mm -hmm. yourself as somebody who's wanting to actively invest in the community, and I don't mean volunteering, I don't mean anything like that, just, just showing up and being present for other human beings. Don't be surprised if folks look at you when you reach out for help and they're like, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, those doors yeah. that I was talking about, that get closed. That's often why. And so when people say things that are inflammatory or they, they do things that are harmful, you know, I think whenever somebody has the courage to name harm, because let's be honest, not everybody has dominant attitudes that, that we on this panel have where they can say what they mean and, and stand by it. For a lot of folks, that's anxiety provoking. It's terrifying. So when finally somebody Absolutely. comes forward and says, here's a harm that's happened. Here's how I feel. I, I think that deserves some weight. You now, because it's not easy to come forward and say someone harmed me. It sure as hell does. Absolutely. Right. And then so then the other part of that is if somebody says that you caused the harm, take that uncomfortable moment and sit with it and, and really look at, was that intentional or not? You know, did I misread something? You know, is there something, you know, you really have to start looking at it. What did I do to contribute to this? And be critical. And I find that there are so many people that are absolutely unwilling to start that first, like, phase of the process it, the knee-jerk reaction is no i didn't and it's like well mm -hmm. if somebody finally had the courage to come forward and say hey so this happened and i'm not comfortable yeah you did something happened you know they didn't yeah. just make it up in a vacuum it's pretty rare that somebody makes shit up in a vacuum you know especially if they're going to do some kind of public naming of harm right so and and i feel like with with the cancel culture the way it goes now Naming the harm is like the only step in the process. Like a lot of people feel like it stops with that. I named harm, therefore it is what it is. Goodbye. You need to leave now. And it's like, no, there were two parties to the harm. You don't have to accept my apology. You don't even have to accept my accountability. But if we're going to interact in a communal setting, there is a responsibility of the community to, to say what happened. What can we learn from it? How do we do better? And that process can take place with or without the two people directly involved. Having them involved, yes. I think, is optimal. They're not necessary for the community to keep advancing. And I think that's the part about cancel culture that everybody has forgotten, 
is that the goal behind canceling someone was to weed out absolutely dangerous people that we deemed no longer worth our effort. Yes. That was the whole point of it. It wasn't to say, I just don't like you or I don't respect you. No. There's, there are a, an epic shit ton of people that I don't respect that I still have to interact with. And I'm just as courteous and professional as, as if they were somebody that I genuinely cared for. Because to me, you still are a human being that deserve that level of respect, you know, and it's, and it's because I know I'm going to have to keep interacting with you. I don't want things to be hostile. I don't want things to be ugly because I don't want to walk into a space and feel anxiety. I want to walk into a space and feel like I'm coming home. You know, and I, th and I think that to me, that's the part of cancel culture that people forget and they've weaponized to the point that they're now forgetting why we canceled people in the first place or how to be ethical and why that it. practice. Mm hmm. Yep. And you do have an ethical responsibility with it. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's I I've been saying this for years and I wish I didn't have to, but there's a reason I did. And it's if I filtered out everybody I didn't wholeheartedly agree with 100 percent in my community, I would be sitting in a room with like four people all the time and it would get boring quick. Because the nature of what we do is a fabric of people that come from different journeys, different patterns, different behaviors and cultures, and we meet in the middle for the sake of a common purpose. We're going to have differences in how we see things. I am not obligated, or nor are you obligated, to agree with everything the other person sees. But it is our obligation to approach each other with ethical decency. No more, no less. And the moment you take on any mantle that's remotely responsible in that space, it goes a step higher, several steps higher in my opinion, whether you like it or not. Because the goal is no longer about you. And I think this is solely my opinion, and it comes back full circle to the fatigue side of things with the people that I've been communicating with over the last several months who are basically bowing out of communities in general in their spaces. And part of it is the cancel culture part of it has reached such a fever pitch of unethicality. Politics have reached a fever pitch. And many of them are simply saying, I was in it for more than me, but not anymore. Because I don't feel I can give to what it currently is and remain ethical in the way that should be. Should being the key word. It's they don't feel the community is representative of what they think it should be anymore. And so instead of being a nuisance or causing a problem or making waves... Regardless of the reasons, they simply take a step back and say, you know what, I have my group of seven persons or 12 persons or three persons, you know, however many households that I frequent with, and I'm going to go just chill with them and mind my business because I'm not in a position where I am comfortable taking those reins, and even if I was, I don't know if I could do so. Whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. I think it's playing its part in why we're seeing so many people bow back out of unity as a whole. Um, was actually touched upon by Cosmopolite earlier. Statistically, most kinky people don't participate in kink community, and that is absolutely true. 
I don't think a lot of people today remember, and we've harped on the history of leather especially because it's the roots of kink, at least here in America especially. Kink didn't have community in a real organized sense at the level it is today. Before the gay leather scene in America, 19th circa, you know, post-World War II. Not at the level it does now. People just kind of hung out with each other in their homes or at, you know, rich parties, etc., as we've mentioned before. It was not like it is today. You didn't have organized events and frequented bars, and it just didn't reach that level regularly. I also think it's because people didn't need it to a a large degree. When you talk about people that don't engage in community, they don't need it. When you, when you like, look at play spaces, people go to play spaces for some very specific reasons. There's furniture that they don't have at home. They need, they need to get out of the house to get into the proper mindset. They want to engage in community or they're trying to learn something. Those, those really are kind of the main I would say, like, um, obviously there's other motivators, but, like, those are the main motivators as to what pushes people to leave the house. You know, there are quite a lot of folks that have house parties and are fully fulfilled. And oh, absolutely. And that becomes their community. Like, they've, they've, they make a community around that. I mean, I would hazard to say almost, almost everybody listening in here right now, you know, came in through a house party at some point or has experienced a house party. and especially the longer that you're in kink, you're going to go to them. And the, the atmosphere in a house party is radically different. That's it's the community becomes distilled down in a sense to your immediate area. And so it, it is a game changer, but when you start engaging with a larger community, that's like a regional community, um, it, it changes things. And yeah. And that's why I talk about the investment side of it. Right. But I, I think that, like for the burnout aspect of it specifically, people drift away because of the politics. People drift away because of the drama. Um, they also drift away because of not finding fulfilling partnerships. You know, if if you come into kink because you're wanting to kinky date and you can't find a partner, it's disheartening. You know, and it's or and I see it quite a lot, especially in Los Angeles, with folks that that like they come to venues and. It happened to me last night. I was at a femdom event and I had no less than six guys come up to me. I don't understand why can't I find a dominant woman? And I'm looking around the room going, there's fucking 30. How do you, what do you mean you can't find one? They're everywhere. It's, you're not putting yourself out there. And so the the clickishness absolutely has something to do with that. Um, But again, it's hard for people to step outside of their comfort zone. You're going to gravitate towards people who are like-minded and know similar to you in some vein because that's comfortable and so you know stepping out of that and really you know growing which is what you should be doing in a communal setting you should be having some type of growth it's really difficult and and i find that those people do drift away and so and they they do become disillusioned you know it doesn't make them less kinky they're they're still kinky they're still into fetish and bdsm but now they've lost a, a vector of being able to pursue that and, and have, you know, a, potentially a more fulfilling life. And I think the, the other downside of that too, and it ties in with cancel culture, 
when those folks start drifting away and going back to the house parties, the danger factor goes up. Yes. Because there's a level of accountability and visibility that happens when you do engage in public play. I'm not going to say it makes it safer, but it does increase the potential of someone else seeing something that you may not. And it does, you know, like, prime example, when I meet people for the first time, I make them meet me at the dungeon. I don't do coffee meetups. You know, I'm not engaging with you to go get a coffee at Starbucks. I'm engaging with you because I'm hoping to beat your ass at some point. Right. So I am going to meet you in a dungeon because that's my safe space. You know, that's where I'm surrounded by people that I know are looking out for my well-being. And I can interact with you on arguably neutral territory for me, you know, because I feel more empowered there. But when you start taking that away from folks and you push them out of community, you're pushing them out of that visibility factor. And that's where I think the danger factor goes up higher because now not only have we lost the visibility of someone who's potentially dangerous, but now you've made their victim pool change. Yes. And if they were a part of the community and you've deemed them dangerous, I want to see who they're interacting with because if somebody wants to vet them, I want to be able to say, here's what I've observed, or no, I can't positively, you know, vet that person. If they start scurrying away into house parties and they start engaging in more, more private play, you may never hear of what's actually happening and their behavior may get worse. Well, yeah. So that's, there's a weird double-edged thing that kind of happens. And I think people kind of forget that side of it sometimes, or we choose to ignore it maybe because we want to focus on just getting them away from us. Um, and so it's it's hard. It's very difficult. Absolutely. And I, I want to touch on that because it, it actually ties together with a variety of conversations we've had over just along the history of this podcast. Because anyone who listened to the early days when we've talked about leather, you know, the I hate using the term even for this, but people who have any understanding will know what I'm talking about when I talk about our when we refer to our forebears, the old guard who were gatekeeping and clicky who shut themselves up in their houses up on the hill. And the thing is, while their reasoning was totally different, and if anything, even less ethical in some ways, the flip side of that was they were extremely filtered on who got to come to those parties, both for safety and for their own elitist nonsense. And obviously that's an unhealthy example, and I'm never going to suggest that it is, because obviously it's not. Anyone who's listened to previous podcasts knows my feelings on our forebears that way. But it is part of the problem in that there's some places where they don't have a communal space to meet, where they don't have venues to go to. Um, where just, whether it's statewide law or a country they live in, where they don't have the luxury of having a club to go to or a warehouse or, and they are stuck meeting in people's private spaces. Your level of responsibility and how you approach and deal with people goes in a whole different direction. And unfortunately it becomes much easier for it to slip and for problems to occur because you're now interacting in people's private spaces and it only takes the wrong person, however well-intended, to enter it to be a problem. Are you trying to talk about the Minnesota scene, like, unintentionally? 
Ironically, <laughs> no, but it's a great example because as big as they are, Minnesota has one of the largest communities in the country for a variety of reasons. But as a result, it has this huge cross-section of everything we talk about because they do have such a sizable number of bodies. And it's like any other statistical valiant. When you put enough bodies in the same space, you'll see the pattern on a larger scale. You do have all those things in the Minnesota community. You have the clicky groups. You have the elitists up in their hill shops. You have all of the above. Because there's so many people actively participating. And it's a state where they can't just congregate at the local nightclub officially. Because the law won't allow it. As we are both aware of. Right. So it is a good example of that in a number. Yes. Um, Cosmo in the chat, just so I can answer you. I Part of the reason I know Woody is I was actively living in Minnesota when I came back to the community. And yeah, their laws effectively, if you con make contact with another person for any reason, it is considered assault. There is no consensual strikes or anything of that nature. So as a result, there's no such thing as a public venue you can go to and do anything of a kinky nature. Because the law will immediately get involved and shut you down. So almost everything is predominantly private at anything beyond the surface level of, say, munches and whatnot, where it's all on the up and up and in vanilla clothing. And so they've had to get real creative in how they do those sorts of things. Um, some are better at it than others. <laughs> but it breeds a different kind of community because it's mostly in people's private spaces, almost exclusively. And so the way they have to approach vetting and approaching and who knows who is a whole different ballgame. But it also touches upon what was said earlier in the chat as well about uh, accountability abuse when you're in a position of power, because that absolutely happens in Minnesota a lot. Mods who think too highly of themselves get careless because they're more concerned with the power they hold now than they are about what the purpose of their position is. And that happens, unfortunately, more than it should. I want to want to offer I guess maybe maybe offer a little bit of optimism so we don't get too stuck in <laughs> in 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 the negatives but oh, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to you know when it comes to burnout and some of those things you know I've I've faced a lot of that over the last couple of years and that was that was because of the community I was in was not um, was problematic in a lot of different ways. Um, but what I've been doing here in Idaho is I've been creating a space that's not, I, I've been branching out of FetLife. We tend to think of FetLife as Maybe not this group, but in general, I think we tend to think of FetLife as kind of being an end-all, be-all, you know, sort of kink facet. Um, and one of the things that I've been doing here is trying to find a way to pull kink off off of FetLife and 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 into other avenues. And so, one of the monthly events that I do is it's advertised through FetLife. I, I post about it on my account, but I've got to deal with one of the local bars 
to be willing to host this, what's called the swap meet. Um, for anybody that doesn't know what a swap meet is, think of it like a kinky flea market. Um, so we've got vendors that make paddles and canes and all sorts of things. They show up, uh, set up a booth, and they can sell their items. Um, now, like I said, I, I advertise that on my FetLife, but talking with the bar and the amount of people that we get to show up, they advertise it through all of their social media as well. So it's it's bringing bringing people that aren't on FetLife to the table as well. Yes. Um, because as as much as as we use FetLife, there's large communities that have not found space on there. Um, you know the 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 gay men's community being one of them, and, and I'm sure there's others, but I can't speak to any of those. Um, but the gay men's community is not on FetLife; it's not their their no. social media. And so, talking with this bar, they're a they're an advertised gay bar, and they have all of their call it quote-unquote vanilla social media that they use to advertise this event, this monthly swap meet. And by doing that, we've gotten, even here in Idaho, in two hours, we'll get 70 or 80 people walking through this this event. Um, and and that's that's huge for this this community. Okay. Um, be because that's it's it's hard to get people out that aren't on fat life um and it's it's been an incredible experience because by doing that by making it accessible outside of just fat life um i've met a ton of people in the drag community um in gay leather um lesbian culture i've i've met so many different people in different social groups that are under the umbrella of kink or alternative or whatever words you want to use right. that i would not have met otherwise that are here in this small uh innocuous state of idaho <laughs> where you wouldn't think that those things exist but because i'm branching out from just that life and making that not the end all be all it creates a a much larger space to get all sorts of people out people that may not be ready or interested to be on fet life you Agreed. know that that perceive fet life is just kind of being a porn site and they're not not interested um or they're just not interested in having another social media account you know we'll, whatever different reasons. Um, but I think the importance of inclusion and all of those these things that we're talking about is finding ways to keep people engaged that aren't just on FetLife um, and keeping people coming in and interested and are, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, even if they're brand new, that doesn't mean that they were born 
the day before. Um, and it, and it keeps people engaged because the other thing is the drag community, they're not on fat life. That's not their, their, their page. And so finding ways to engage with these other communities that aren't being, that haven't found their space or aren't represented as much on FetLife, finding a way to engage them is, is huge and, and a big part of what we need in bringing people, more people to the table. I 100% agree with that. I mean, when I came back to the Minnesota community, it wasn't, you know, I've always used FetLife in the time that I've gotten in touch with it as an event calendar, but it has never been my one be-all, end-all source for everything because it can't be. Not every, it's still ultimately a social media site of a specific kind, but nonetheless. And there are many communities that either have chosen not to or won't or regardless of the reasons why good or bad have no reason to be involved on FET. Is it a good starter point if you don't have one? Yeah, depending on the community itself, obviously, and a few things. But it should never be your one-stop shop for everything kinky in your area, or even everything alternative in your area, for lack of a better descriptive. You know, do some homework, look elsewhere, if you need it as a starting point, use it as such, but don't limit yourself to FetLife as your only source of, well, if it's not on FetLife, it can't exist. Most of the people I got to meet in Minnesota were not on FetLife. <laughs> well, either not on FetLife or a lot like you where it's how we go to see what's going on and that's about it. Exactly. And for some, it's not even that, so. Yeah. To the whole um, burnout thing. I mean, I think people have to realize that, you know, people get burnout for different reasons too. Um, you can get burnout simply because real life, everything outside of kink takes over, and so things have to have to give. Um, and then burnout can just come, you know. We're all we're all here for a reason, right? We're all we all come on this podcast because we give a shit, you know, and and that translates into our communities as well. And we we do have a, a strong desire to help our communities grow. And people come up with all the best ideas, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, let's make this work." I think one of the things that we could do to help mediate burnout and to help others from experiencing it is being that example of getting other people involved that are actively part of the community but maybe aren't doing anything but attending you know meet people where they are ask them to do small things hey we're having this event can you be in charge of name tags you know, you'd be surprised how many people actually say yes when you ask them to help you do something. Um, and then once they do it, they get the confidence is built. People see them differently. And and I think if maybe sometimes we took all of the great ideas and all of the things and started incorporating more of those people, 
we might be showing by our actions, you know, this is how we can spread the wealth and spread it so that we're not all experiencing this and we still get to do new and exciting things. Um, and one doesn't have to suffer for the other. You know, not everybody's ready to run a munch. Not everybody's willing to take the time and energy to run a munch or run a special play party or, you know, volunteer at a dungeon, but they are willing to, you know, refill paper towels or they're willing to, you know, help stand at the door and greet people. You know, they're willing to simply be a person that you can put a new person next to so they can sit and talk and help people be comfortable. I think if we start looking at the attributes that people can bring to the community, then we can help ourselves by not going through the the drastic ebb and flow of what burnout can bring. Well, I think that actually plays into another side of, of burnout is you have someone who is constantly the one who's got to do the planning and the organizing and, and setting up the munches or the events and parties and this, that, and the other thing. And if they're not getting help, man, that starts to wear you down. Um, it does. I help run multiple groups in my area. Um, one of which is, is an age play group. And we do 11, 12 different events throughout the year. Some of them are very large and time consuming. And it's, it gets hard to do that. I mean, you figure it'd get easier after like four or five years of doing the same event, but the organizing and all the, you know, the behind the scenes stuff just wears you out. So when you get there day of, if you don't have people who are stepping up to help out, you, you just got nothing left in the tank and, and you get burned quick. I've definitely felt that with um, some of the events that I do, you know, I, I do a handful of, a couple different events I, I do on a monthly basis, and, and then I do um, one or two on, on sort of a quarterly basis. And the, the thing I'm, I'm sort of working through, even right now, is finding balance and moderation. Um, you know, finding what are the events that are very important to me um fill my you know fill my cup um and and that i can can go on and do and then which are the events that are like yeah this was kind of a cool idea it started as kind of a cool thing but do i do i really care still do i do i really need this event or you know something along those lines and and for me it's it's finding ways to prioritize those things and it's it's like i mentioned my swap meet every month that fills me i i love doing that every month um it's a lot of work um to get vendors and you know hurting all of the cats um but at the same time i'll I'll do it and and it and it feels, even though there's a lot of work, 
it feels effortless. It it feels like, you know, I was filled rather than gave. Um, as opposed to some of the other events I do, they're they're sort of a tug of war, you know, of effort and you know is is the candle burning on on too many ends and that sort of thing and for me it's finding ways to sort of prioritize that maybe maybe instead of making it a monthly thing you can make it a every other month sort of thing um and i've done that with one of my events you know i i took it from a monthly thing and and turn it into an every other month. And even just that little change for me made all the difference. And it, it really helped make it a much more sustainable sort of process. Nope. I get you completely there. And I've gotten, I've gotten very lucky in the moderators that are around me um, specifically for like that age play group. It, I'm the one who started the group. I'm the one who does most of the, posting on fat life and all that stuff so i do a lot of the behind the scenes and the moderators are all very oh. understanding about day of and i've already put in all the work it's on you guys i'm not the one who's handling the you know on-site stuff so i get to just show up and for lack of better terms refill my cup because i already put all the energy i had into it and here you go have fun I'm going to kick back and relax at this point. Unless somebody had some final thoughts they'd like to share. I think that's a good wrapping point. Um, the, the, oh, please go ahead, Miss Ruth. No, it's okay. Uh, I was just going to say for me, I'm just going to go back to the, you know, in regards to cancel culture, to burnout, to, to everything that really was talked about today if we just baseline everything that we do, you know, to the very basic fact that we're still dealing with other human beings, everybody's going to have their own lived experiences. Everybody is going to have something very unique that they bring to any conversation or any event or any table that they come to. And it doesn't have to resonate with you. And it, you know, quite frankly, it doesn't have to make sense to you. But that doesn't mean right. that you can't treat it with the same respect and dignity that you would want them to treat what you're bringing to the table. You know, yes, cancer culture to its very roots has its safety purposes. And I think if used correctly is a good tool to help the community as a whole. I, I just hope that in using it, and in doing so that we, that, you know, everybody just has a little bit of grace and everybody just has a little bit of understanding that not every, not everybody's going to learn the same way or learn at the same speed as everybody else. And that sometimes it takes three different ways or four different ways for somebody to hear information for it to really resonate and sink in. And if they still leave or you still have to, you know, invite them not to be part of the community again then so be it. You know, you're not going to be able to help everybody and not everybody wants to be helped. You know, and so, you know, just always, always go in with intent in mind. You know, if people are always coming in with the best of intent, which I really do believe most, most all people are, 
then a lot of things can so, so be worked out and, and communities can just thrive and, and grow at a, at a much higher rate. If, if everybody just thought the good of each other. And, and I, I, I really want to second that. I think we talked about it a lot here today, but I, I, I definitely want to reinforce that all of these things apply to everybody, right? It's whether it's, it's, um, one extreme or the other, as far as, uh, quote unquote queerness or any of that stuff, everybody, everybody deserves a space here that's being safe and has good intent. And I think inclusion means everybody. Um, and I, I, I think that's so important in how we grow and learn and continue having these conversations and learning about other people's paths and all of that stuff. I, I think, I think everybody keeping in mind that all means all, I mean, with the exception of, of, you know, truly bad actors and truly unsafe people, um, all means all. And I, I think, I think that's the best way we can grow. Uh, I'm going to agree with, uh, Ms. Rue and Wicked on this one, and I'm not going to bother beating the dead horse. So I'm just going to say it's been a pleasure spending the last several hours having these conversations and, I want to thank Dartex and Knox for uh, hosting these podcasts because I think it's an amazing job what they do. I second that. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. I'm my my cup is full. I'm happy to be here and happy to be part of this. I definitely appreciate all of you being willing to share your thoughts and experiences with us because that's yeah. you know again why we do this is for community. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I appreciate that we can have these mature conversations without it developing into a dog fight. Um, <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's a huge win in my book. So I, I appreciate all of you being willing to spend the time with us today. Oh God. That, yes. that truly is a treasured gift and I appreciate it. I, when I first started doing these, I, I very much only had the intent in mind of doing the equivalent of like a 101 in safety and talking exclusively about the bare bones of King. Because at the time, it was something that was sorely needed. There was nothing out there that really gave the same kind of application to it. But the longer we've been doing these, the more I realize that it's a platform that allows people who are actively in the community on a healthy level who want the community to be healthy especially in the leather end of things where we all generally come from, where obviously there's a different feel to how things are done, for lack of a better way to dive into it. I think it's important to be able to have these conversations and to have a platform to speak on them, much like, you know, I love the fact that I was able to give, you know, the ladies a women's only episode where I wasn't even involved as a part-time because I think that's needed. I think those spaces are important. And I think being able to have those conversations maturely in a space is important. Because it's the only way we move forward collectively 
is being able to do that sort of thing with the right foot forward in our minds. And so if I can help give that to space for people, I want to. You know, I've said a thousand times, I want, it's not that I'm this, you know, elder kinkster with like, you know, almost 30 years experience, so I'm better than you. It's I want everyone to have my level of experience and knowledge. I want everyone to be able to enjoy it the same level. So we can get past the nonsense and just get to the enjoying. And we can't do that without talking about these sorts of things. You know, Knox said it, but I, I very much reiterate, it's we're here because of all of you. I am so blessed the number of people who tell us they listen to the podcast or they're glad we do this or thank you for having us or all of it, because we absolutely do it for all of you. It's not for us, whatever the jokes may be. You know, if I just wanted to listen to myself talk, I can do that in a VC somewhere until I'm blue in the face privately. <laughs> it's for the, you know, it's for the people who can't join us live. It's for the people who can't get to Spotify. People who are not locally to the United States. There's people in cultures all over the world who can't get kink safety knowledge or 101 knowledge in their own backyard for fear of their own lives. If I've helped one person learn something that allows their journey to be better that they couldn't have done without it, I consider myself blessed. No bullshit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank everybody who's listening in the live audience today. I love it when I see people there. Thank you, everybody who participated in the chat. Thank you three for joining us. I always love having you guys on. Um, you know, we try to make the, for lack of a better way to put it, panel as representative as we can, because, you know, that's kind of the point. But more than that, I love having people on who are capable of rising to the occasion like we do. That's important. And... You know, for everybody who will be listening later, thank you guys as well. We are literally doing this for you guys out there listening on whatever format you get to. Thank you guys and have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>